a series um, about this church, the local church, Trinity Community Church, titled Doctrine, Distinctives, and Direction. And uh, this, is, this is week six in our series. We typically, our preaching diet, if you will, is we, we really enjoy preaching through books. And so um, we'll, we'll get back to that eventually. But for now, we really feel we need to take the extra weeks just to walk through foundational things as it relates to this local church. So last week, if I could just remind you a little bit, because this is, this is the gospel part two. So if you weren't here last week, if I could encourage you, go back and listen to part one, because that's um, critically important to part two. Um, and so please go back. Our uh, live stream, well, our internet was down last week due to the storm. I think it was due to the storm. And so it got uploaded later on in the week. And so if you haven't had a chance or if you're watching via the live stream, please go back and uh, check that out. But one of the kind of the working illustration, if you will, that we were using last week had to do with taking your eye off the ball and fumbling the gospel, right? And so how, how do we do that? How do we fumble the gospel? Well, we can turn the gospel into a, a moral message. That's one way that we fumble the gospel, where we, where we turn it into something that's about our morality, our efforts, our goodness, our good works, if you will. Or we can minimize, one of the ways we fumble the gospel is we minimize the holiness of God. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but we do this all the time. Personally, as a culture, we are all about minimizing who God is and really maximizing who we are. Like We, we really think of ourselves as, as pretty doggone good people um, with maybe some rough edges here and there. And so if we, can, if we can minimize who God is and maximize who we are, maybe we can kind of bridge the gap a little bit. Um, is, is what we do. Well, that's a, that's a way to fumble the gospel. That is far from what the gospel is. We can trade gospel truth and gospel, gospel transformation for things like, well, therapy or behavior adjustment or prosperity or many other things that are not the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? I've already used that word probably four, five, six times. What is the gospel? Well, it's this. God is holy. Man is sinful. In, in man's sinfulness and God's holiness, right, there's been a separation. It is what took place in the Garden of Eden back in Genesis chapter 3, right? And so there's been this separation. God, through his son, sent his son, Jesus, to come live a perfect life, die on the cross for our sins, that we can put our faith in Christ and be restored, be reconciled, be made right with God. Um, and that is to the praise of our God, that we might be justified before him. That was really last week, justification by the blood of Christ. He redeemed the sinner made us right with God. And so this morning, we kind of tiptoed around this a little bit last week. But in part two, we want to ask the question, how do we respond to that? What's our response to the gospel? We spend another week in the gospel this morning because gospel truths 
intent is, to, is, is that it would be met with faith. Faith in Christ. These gospel truths must be met with faith. They're not just truths that just kind of sit on a page or just kind of maybe just kind of uh, live in our minds somewhere a little bit and just, ah, that's kind of neat news. No, they are to be met in our hearts with full faith in what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. That's to be our response. That's where we're headed. Let's pause and pray, and we'll dive into to our text this morning. Lord, would you give us, grant us, provide for us, the gift of faith. Lord, there would be those among us this morning who perhaps might even say good things like, I believe in Jesus, but, but are not living in faith towards all that you have accomplished on their behalf. Lord, would you grant the gift of faith this morning? Lord, for those who are here this morning and would say, I believe in Jesus and my life is evidence of that. It is a transformed life and it's evidence of that. Lord, to, to us I would pray, would you, would you increase our faith? Would you increase our joy in the gospel? Would you increase our worship of you because of the gospel? Would you increase, would you just simply increase before our eyes? Lord, would we see you as you are, not who we make you to be, but as you are, full of splendor and glory, worthy of our worship, Lord. Come and move in all of our hearts this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we don't typically use the word, but I did last week. I'm going to use it again this week. Probably won't hear it again for five years, but we're, we are a reformed church as it relates to our doctrine, um, our theology, our doctrine of salvation. And so um, as, as, as a reformed church, you run into different folks and maybe, you know, maybe you've read some things on the internet or maybe you've heard this or that. Hear me. When I say we are reformed in our doctrine of salvation, that does not mean we believe we're robots. That does not mean that we're just kind of robotically going through life. A response is needed as men and women following Christ to the truths of the gospel. The reformed um, view of salvation does not teach that we have become um, some sort of robot. It, it, it's not what we believe here at Trinity. And the reason it's not what we believe here at Trinity, because it's not what the Bible teaches. <laughs> and we simply want to go with the Bible. And so I know there's mystery in there, and I'm not here this morning to try to unpack the mystery. There, there is a growing mystery file that should be true of all of us who follow Christ. But as we were saying last week, chapters of Romans, chapters 1, 2, and 3 and a half, the first part of 3, shows us what? That all humanity before a holy God is sinful, is spiraling downward, is standing in judgment, um, or, or will be judged by God um, due to sin, including the, the law-abiding Jew of the day. And really... 
Chapters 1 through 3 and a half is summed up by verse 23. Many of you know it well. Chapter 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so you've got this all, you've got this very inclusive verbiage in the first three chapters where, where none is righteous, none seek God, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so Paul is explaining in light of that, how is one saved if we fall short of the glory of God? How is one made right before God. And what Paul unpacks for us and what we sought to unpack last week is that we were saved by grace and this grace is a gift from God. But now Paul further explains how are we to respond to that? And so point number one is he offers us questions that help us to see what our response isn't. All right, that's where we're going to start, because that's where Paul starts. What our response isn't. Let's read again, verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. (laughs) By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. And so again, chapter 1, chapter 2, first half of 3, we are guilty, all are guilty, none are righteous, very all-inclusive. Then we roll into verse 21. But now... The righteousness of God has been made manifested, made made clear how through Christ, Christ has revealed the righteousness of God, and he reveals in justification by faith in Christ alone that that is a gift of grace. And so the obvious question, or the the what should be the obvious question in all of our hearts, how do we respond to that? What do we do with that? What is our response to God is sovereign? over our salvation? What is our response to, you have been justified by Christ. You have been clothed in his righteousness, this grace. What is our response? Well, before Paul explains our response, what our response is, he tells us what it isn't. And what it isn't is it's, it's not boasting in ourselves. That's what it's not. That's what it's not. Paul is saying, there's nothing here for you to boast in. You're, you're in a room completely, entirely because of the grace of God. You are saved entirely, 100% because of God's grace. That's why you would say, Christ, you're my Savior. That's because of the grace of God, if you say that this morning. Genuinely say that. Try as you might to find something in yourself to boast in when it comes to your salvation. There's nothing in the room. That's what Paul is saying. There's nothing for you and I to take credit in, is what he's saying. Now, I don't know how many of you were here when we preached through Romans. Uh, We did that a number of years ago. To my shock, I looked it up this week. When, When did we preach Romans last? Any guesses? Who said 2013? Seriously? Well, you weren't even here, Jason. <laughs> Fantastic. Well played. 2013. I was shocked. Couldn't believe it was 10 years ago. Well, I want to I I work with an illustration that I used 10 years ago. Some of you will remember it. It's about Waldo. Waldo originally was Wally. He was started in the, um, in the United Kingdom. That's where he got his start, and, and he 
somehow got the name Waldo along the way. I kind of prefer Waldo, actually. And um, Waldo uh, is traveling around the world, right? Oh, wow, that's not a good picture. Sorry. But it's just as good. It gets the point done, right? You get it. Um, and the idea is, you know, you, you look at a paper page like that in a book, and you've got to find Waldo in this, the ocean of people that all look like him, right? And, oh, if you've been a parent for five minutes, you have sat on the couch with your son or daughter and said, let's, let's find Waldo on the page, and you have found yourself an hour later, son and daughter has gone on to play with the Legos, and you're still on the couch trying to find dumb Waldo on the page. It's, uh, it's pretty funny. He can be difficult to find as he travels around the world. That's what I think of when I come to verse 27. It's a where's Waldo moment for me. In the sea of God's activity, where's my contribution? Let me search here. Let me look. Let me, let me try to find something. Or as Paul, how Paul puts it, where is the boasting? In the ocean of God's grace, which he just unpacked for us in the previous verses. In the activity that is the gospel. I can't find anything on the page that I might be able to boast in. In myself. Now actually in the, in the real picture, in the real Waldo world, somewhere in the picture there is a Waldo. But in the glory of your salvation, in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I were not even in the picture. You search and search in vain. Because your salvation is 100% entirely by grace alone. And you and I have nothing to offer in and of ourselves. That's why there's no boasting. There is nothing for you and I to boast in except the cross of Christ. Only in the cross of Christ. You see, the Jew was proud of his personal righteousness. They could, if you would, boast in all that they were getting done as it related to the law. They did a lot. It reminds me a bit, last week, again, kind of talked a little bit about Martin Luther. So if I go back to Martin Luther, he was a Catholic monk, and he once famously said, I was a good monk. I kept the rules of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. Right? It's fantastic. Or the Apostle Paul, in another letter to another people, to the Philippians, says a similar thing with a little bit more verbiage. He says this, For we are the circumcision who worshipped by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. I've got reason. He's saying, I've got reason I could boast. 
If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, here, Paul, I got more. <laughs> That's how much I've done. I've got more than you do. Like, it's hilarious, right? I've got more. Circumcised, and he starts to list it out. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes, what? Through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, if we get last week right, if we get chapters 1, 2, and the first half of 3 right, then we come to verse 21, but now, that moment, but now, and we see justification by grace um, through faith. We see that through the blood of Christ. We talked about redemption and propitiation. And the question becomes to us, how do we respond to that? And Paul says, before we get to what our response is, let's be clear what our response isn't. We have nothing to boast in. Where's Waldo? He's not on the page in the picture of the gospel. Or we could go to Ephesians, and he tells us, Paul, to the Ephesians, says it like this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 1 Corinthians 1. Again, Paul now to the Corinthians, but God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Galatians 6. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us join with Paul. Before we look at what our response is, let us be clear what our response isn't. If you are genuinely saved, a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, you and I have nothing in ourselves to boast in. We boast only in Christ alone because it is only through Christ that you and I are saved. Secondly, questions that help us to see what our response is. Let's read verse 28. For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? All the Gentiles in the room said, Amen. <laughs> 
yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, he will justify the circumcised, how? By faith. And the uncircumcised, how? Through faith. Do we then overthrow the law? I'll hold off on that verse. Let's, let's stop there. So it's through the use of questions. And he actually started questions earlier in the chapter, I think in verse 1. And it's good if you just take some time, read through later on uh, the entire chapter. Through the um, use of questions, Paul's leading us along to help us to understand all that God has done on our behalf. And in so doing, he brings us to this response. And what's the, what's the big response? Put your faith in Jesus Christ and all that he's done on your behalf. Paul is saying that when we rightly understand verses 21 through 26, what we preached last week, when we rightly understand those verses, when we rightly understand our salvation, when we rightly understand you've been justified by Christ through faith in Christ alone, um, all the boasting, all the efforts, they're gone. If salvation is accomplished by our efforts, by our morality, I mean, look at me, Lord. I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm a good neighbor, right? Like, look at the good things that I've done. If that's what we base our salvation in, then we have something to boast in. And we come to see through Scripture, uh, there is no salvation there. But if salvation is a gift of grace then our response is, rather than boasting in self, our response is let us boast in Him. Justification by faith kills the pride of man and ignites hearts of worship. I submit to us this morning, passionate worship, love for God. And when I say worship, just a reminder, because we get this so wrong so many times in church culture. I'm not just simply talking about the 30 minutes of singing. I'm talking about the life that is in Christ that is a worshipful life. I'm talking about all that we are and do is worship of God. It's why Rick got up here and said we're transitioned from our worship and singing to what? Our worship and giving. And right now, we also want to continue in our worship of listening and the worship of preaching and worship of the, of, of the word of the Lord. Well, not, not the worship of the words, but the word, God, who is the word, right? I submit to us this morning, get a hold of justification by faith and allow God to light the fuse of our heart. Allow, allow that to explode within us in a life that is worship. So yeah, it's, it spans out. It spans out into how we give out of a heart of worship, how we serve, right? Out of a heart of worship. All of these are themes that are coming in the, in the coming weeks. But before we get to those themes, we want to be securely rooted in the gospel so that this serving and this giving, or even you could say this, the, the portion of, of the, the singing and worship isn't a part of our works that we're doing to somehow gain favor with God, but because of God's favor, verses 21 through 26, praise be to our God. We're here to respond to him in worship. So let me say, let there be passionate worship at Trinity. 
And maybe for a minute, now I am talking about the singing. Let there be passionate worship as we sing to the Lord, not for any sort of way to to say, look what I'm doing, Lord, but to say, Lord, look what you've done. I want to respond to that. I don't think, I don't think there's a single voice in here that could be loud enough that we would say, you know what, the Lord, that's just a little above the worth of the Lord. Like our problem, sometimes we go, wow, you know, that person's being a little loud. I don't, I don't think that's really the problem. I think the problem is really in most of our hearts, we're just so weak when it comes to the justification that we've received as a gift of God. No, I'm not saying, so let's be loud for loud sake. No, I'm saying, get a hold of these truths and let it transform you to such an extent that you would say, you know what? I'm just really not kind of an outward, boisterous person. But when it comes to the gospel, I'm a transformed person. Get a hold of justification by faith alone. And let your heart explode in a life of worship who saved you completely, entirely, 100% based on nothing in you. Entirely on him. Rock of ages cleft for me. Right? Verse 2 says, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress, right? That's the righteousness part. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I come naked to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's it. Praising God, boasting in Christ, that's the response of the justified believer in Christ. Let there be boasting. Let there be loud boasting in Christ. How do we do that? We put our faith in Christ and we get about the business of Christ. And we do, we come to this, and it's appropriate. Some of you are saying, yes, amen, it's appropriate. And yet, oddly enough, all of our hearts drift into this, let me find Waldo in the ocean of God's grace. Let me find myself in that picture somewhere. I'm in there somewhere, aren't I? I contribute something, don't I? Don't I contribute something, even a little something? Where am I in that picture so that I can boast? He says in verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, we need to do a little time out. Because if you know your Bibles a little bit, you know James says something that sounds a little different than that. James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And a few verses later, he, says, he adds, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. Do these two guys, do James and Paul, do they, they need to sit down and have coffee. Because it looks like they're on an entirely different page. One guy sounds like he's talking about salvation through grace. The other guy's talking about, sounds like he's talking about salvation through works. Is that what's going on? 
And we remember, right, that context is always key. What James is addressing and what Paul is addressing are two different things. James is saying, what good is it if you say you have faith but you don't have works? James is dealing with people who are saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, don't you? You believe in Jesus. And yet there's no evidence of any faith in Christ. So he says to them, show me your works. Show me the evidence of a transformed life. Show me the evidence that there's faith in Christ. Because anyone can certainly say, I believe in Jesus. Don't you believe in Jesus? James says, show me your faith by your works. He's not saying, do works in order to gain salvation. He is saying there ought to be an obvious life change, transformation that gives evidence to the faith that's in your heart. So he says faith without works is dead, meaning it's just not there. It's dead faith. Or we could say you don't understand Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through 26. There's a disconnect. Because if you did, works would follow in no way to gain, but because of what's been given. The free grace of God. Paul, do works save? No. James, do works reveal? Yeah. Sure they do. So follow Paul's argument here in Romans and he's, he, he moves us along in these questions, and he's saying that, well, previously he's saying all sin, right? Jew, Jew, Gentile, all are under the judgment of God. But now, verse 21, God is the God of all those who place their faith in Christ. Keep in mind, these, are, the, these were hard things for a Jew to hear. They were aware of their special covenant relationship with God. They knew they had something that the Gentile did not have. And Paul, he's saying some things here in a few verses that was blowing their minds. John Stott says it like this, what the Jews forgot, however, was that that their privileges were not intended for the exclusion of the Gentiles, but for their ultimate inclusion. When through Abraham's posterity, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. Just as all are under sin, now the blessing of salvation is extended to all who believe in him, no exceptions, no separations. So again, in Ephesians, Ephesians 2 says it like this, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, all right? You outsiders, you're the uncircumcised. By what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Oh, church, this is us. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Sounds a lot like last week's text, doesn't it? For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. 
He's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. Made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing, crushing the hostility. That's what he's saying in verses 29 through 30 as well. God is God of all, transcendent above all of our differences. He transcends races. He transcends the the differences of ethnicity and culture and age and male and female and rich and poor and position and status and, and, and. All those differences, all those things that in our culture were said, these are what separates us. He's broken those down in his flesh. Ephesians 2. Our race and our ethnicity and our status, they continue to be what they are. They haven't disappeared. I kind of think it's silly when people say, I don't see color. I see color. I think that's something that, to rejoice in. I see color. Praise be to God. I see a, tr- a transcendent color of the red blood of Jesus Christ flowing through both of our veins that it puts us in equal standing before the cross of Christ. It's not that our distinctions disappear, nor should they. It's that our differences have no significance in our relationship with God, first of all, and then out of that with each other, secondly. Same justification, same salvation, same eternity. All this nonsense of distinctions and separations and segregations will one day end at the throne of God. Every tribe and tongue will join in the worship of the Savior. And we will one day feast at the table together, saved by the same Savior, worshiping Him alone. Want to crush racism? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to our hearts. Three, a final question to help us respond and understand the law. Verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith that really is the question if you've been following if you follow chapter one two to three you should come to a place where you're going sounds like we should just bag the law just kick it to the curb what's his reply by no means on the contrary we uphold the law what what are you doing here paul as I said, the, this, this section would have been fighting words for the Jew. Paul is Paul saying to the Jew who treasured the law that the law should now be kicked to the curb. Because if you're rightly understanding grace, as I said, that really should be the following question. So should we just kick it to the curb? And he answers emphatically, no, not at He will do this, I encourage you to read it later, chapter 4, by going Old Testament on them. And he will point them to Abraham and David, who were justified by their works? No. 
The point in chapter 4 is to say, and it's the same salvation back then. It was, you are justified by faith as you place your faith in the coming Savior. Here we are, justified by faith as we look back to the Savior. But it's the same justification by faith. You see, the law was used by Jews to, to think, look, look at me. Look at all that I'm getting done. And thus, then boast. But the law should have revealed to them they didn't measure up. They fall short, too, of the glory of God. That's what the law does. It reveals to us, you and I, we're sinners. Email exchange with Christian this week. He kind of helped me out with this point, and and. It's this. The law is your thermometer. The, the law is your thermometer. You, you, you have a thermometer and you put it under your tongue to help you determine, oh, I've got a fever. But that thermometer, you know how much good that is to healing your fever? <laughs> it's got no power to heal your fever. It just reveals to you that you're sick. All right? That's the law. The law is your thermometer. It's got no power to heal you of what that which makes you sick, your sin. Oh, but it's grace and that it reveals to you, you're not well. You need a savior. You need help. The law will tell you that you're a sinner, but that you are never able to save yourself. My self-atoning works are never going to save me. But Christ kept the law perfectly and now we can place our faith not in our own works, but in his works, in all that he's accomplished on our behalf. Not my works, that's not our response, but to, 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 to the praise of his glory, his justifying grace in us. So verse 31, he anticipates the response. You're going to bail on the law, right? And he's saying, by no means. Now, it's funny to me. This is how we operate in church world. We, there are two ditches. We've preached on this many times. The one ditch is legalism. The other ditch is license. And we tend to crawl into one ditch and then find out, just like what Paul's doing here, oh, no, you're not saved through your works, your obedience of the law. That's, that's legalism, right? And we jump out of that ditch, we run across the street, and we jump into the ditch of license. Isn't that what he's doing here? So do we bag the law? Do we just, do we just say, okay, I've got faith in Christ, I'm going to live the way I want to live? Neither of them is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. His reply is by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And I invite the worship team, guys, if you would, join me. Faith upholds the law hear me closely even as they're walking around a little distraction hang with me faith upholds the law not to in any way gain but because of what we've been given faith upholds the law the law is grace in that the law exposes us in our sin we need the law so that we might see we are law breakers not law keepers. The law exposes me. And if you're honest with yourself this morning, you would go, hmm, the law has exposed me. I'll never be able to keep the law. 
That is how the law is grace. It shows me, it shows you, I need Jesus. Now I want to say this needs to be kept in mind. We're going to move forward in our series. Next week, Christian will be preaching on the Trinity of God, not the church, the Trinity, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The week after that, I'm going to preach on the Holy Spirit. Why isolate the Holy Spirit? Well, because that's, that's really, there's a lot of questions when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And we believe in the continuation of gifts. And so there's questions about that. And so we're going to take a week there. But then we're going to move to things like relationships and serving and giving. And if those things aren't preached with these things in mind, oh boy, we then will turn into a good moral church. We don't want to do that. That would be boasting in ourselves. So God help us. All of these sermons, well, every sermon needs to be heard through the grid of the gospel. Would you stand with me? How do we respond then? Five quick ways, just kind of a summary of what we said, but really quick. One, we put our faith in Christ. Justification by faith alone calls for a response of faith. Faith in Christ. Two, worship. Justification by faith alone. I'm going to say it's our call to worship. Three, humility. Justification by faith alone creates humble worship, not boastful efforts. Four, unity. Justification by faith alone creates unity, not diversity. Five, obedience and work. Justification by faith alone creates worshipful obedience, not license. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, as a church, even now in these few moments, saved and unsaved alike, help us to respond to the truth of your word. Lord God, we now pause to lift up our voices and worship of you in all that you've accomplished because you have accomplished all of it from beginning to end alpha omega when it comes to our salvation it is all entirely on your shoulders and it's in you then that we boast and we praise and we worship you so church i say to us let there be loud boastful worship as we sing to our god